Hey, church family, happy Easter. I'm so glad that we get to be together today. Hey, have you ever had buyer's remorse? You know, that feeling you have, it's like a pit in your stomach. It's embarrassment. You get home from shopping and you go, oh, why did I buy the leather pants? I'm not, I'm not going to wear those. Right? Buyer's remorse. It's this feeling of buyer's remorse is rooted sort of in shame, right? Like, I can't believe I did that. I'm a victim of infomercials. I always think I need their product. I watch it, I order it, and then I almost always have buyer's remorse. Like, they make it seem so good. A knife, it will cut through a shoe. It seems important at the time. It's not that practical. I bought a uh, I bought this off an of infomercial. It's this snowflake tool. I saw this and I was like, I, I have to have this. It fits in the palm of your hand. It has 18 functions. There's screwdrivers, there's bottle openers, there's a rope cutter on here. It's like, if I have this, I'll just take it everywhere with me and I really won't need anything else. It turns out, in my line of work, you don't need a rope cutter that often. It's just like, why? Like, why do I own this, right? When Jesus died, when Jesus died, do you think that his friends had buyer's remorse? When they put his body in the tomb, do you think they felt shame? Do you think they were embarrassed? See, they gave up everything to follow him. And now they have to go home and they have to tell their friends and their family, gee, I guess it didn't work out. Oh no, what happened? Well, the guy that we thought was the king of the world, the guy that we put all of our hope in, he's dead. I mean, John and James left the family business. Peter's got a wife at home. He's been promising her for years. Baby, listen, I know I have to travel a lot for work, but like, it's gonna be okay. There's brighter days ahead. And now they have to explain why the whole thing seems like it was just a joke. Do you think that they had some level of shame in that, some embarrassment? That's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about shame. And you go, what is the resurrection of Jesus Christ? What does the Easter story have to do with shame? Everything. Let me show you. If you've got a Bible with you, get it out. Brought it with you today. Turn it on. John chapter 20. John is in the New Testament. Let's look for the dude's names. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John chapter 20, if you have ever had buyer's remorse about something that you've said, if you've ever had regret or shame about something that you've done, if you've ever woken up and thought, nope, not today, the darkness is too heavy, the shame is too much, I can't even get out of bed, if you've ever felt any of that, I believe you're in the right place today. John chapter 20. We're going to get into, of course, the Easter story. Jesus died on Friday afternoon. He really hung on a cross and he really drew his last breath and he died. They buried him in a tomb. But Sunday, something is going to happen. Something big is going to happen and it changes everything. And it has to do with how we will relate how we will deal with our feelings of shame. Here we go. It's the Easter story. John chapter 20 says this. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, so it's Sunday morning, it's early in the day, still dark out. The sun hasn't come up yet. Mary Magdalene went to the tomb, and she saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and she said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. 
It's bad enough that Jesus died, right? This whole thing they've been doing, it's over. There's no Christianity. The Christ is dead, but now his body is gone. She knows they put him in that tomb, but the stone's rolled away and it's empty. And the only logical explanation is someone came and took him. Someone stole that body. Verse 3 says, so Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. This is sort of funny. Who, who's the disciple that won the foot race to the tomb? It's John. It's the guy who's writing this, and he thinks it's important to put this story in there. Listen, I don't want to brag. But we were back at home, and me and Peter, we started running. It, we started at the same time, and we were together, and then I looked back. <laughs> I made it there first. He, that's John, verse 5, he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw strips of linen lying there also, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth, the cloth was lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So the disciples went back to where they were staying. Somehow, somehow these guys have to go back and tell their friends what's happened. Somehow John has to go back and tell Jesus' mother, who's now his adopted mother, basically. He has to go back and tell her what's going on, except he doesn't understand what's going on. The body's gone. And it says that he saw and he believed, but believed what? Because they didn't understand that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And even if they did, like, what does that even mean that a person's going to rise from the dead? What are the ramifications of all that? And so you could understand it's, it's confusing what's happening. Mary, as they leave, Mary stays at the tomb. Verse 11 says, Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and here's what she saw. There were two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. So check this out. This is super important. And what Mary sees has everything to do with what God says about Shame. So get this. In the Old Testament, there's something called the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is a box. God says, build this box, this Ark of the Covenant, and I want you to put important things in there. And so the Israelites put important things. They start with the Ten Commandments, those tablets that God's law, God's word are written on. They put those in this box, and they take the Ark of the Covenant, and it goes everywhere with them. They just carry it everywhere with them. And, and there's a lid on the top of the box and on each side of the box, there's what? There's two cherubim. There's angels. And, and God says this about the Ark of the Covenant. In Exodus 25, God says, There above the covering, there above the lid, my presence will meet you. So God says, right here is where I will meet you. So you've got this box, you've got a lid. This lid is called the mercy seat. I'll tell you why. This lid, you've got angels on each side, and God says, this is where my presence will meet you. And it sounds kind of weird, but this is, what, this is what God says. Gold box, gold lid, angels. And here's what happens. The priest would sacrifice an animal, and the priest would take the blood 
from that animal, and he would go in to the ark, where the Ark of the Covenant was, and he would sprinkle blood here on the mercy seat. And that blood would pay for or would atone for the sins of the people. And so that would cleanse the people of their sins. And then God says, when you're cleansed, I'll meet you there, right above the Ark of the Covenant, between the angels. That's where my presence will meet you. Cool. So go back to the tomb. What does Mary see? Mary sees a shelf, right? She sees the shelf where Jesus' body was laid. What else does she see? It says she sees an angel seated on one end, and she sees an angel seated on the other end. Coincidence? No. Here's what God's trying to tell us. This is incredible. God's trying to say, just like the Ark of the Covenant, this is the new mercy seat where before a priest made a sacrifice and the blood of that animal atoned for your sins. Now it's the death and resurrection of Jesus himself who pays for your sins. That's the atonement of our sin. The resurrection of Jesus is the new mercy seat. It's where God meets us in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, where he takes away our sin through Jesus Christ and he replaces it with joy and peace and mercy and his presence. Isn't the imagery so cool that John would pull this forward and explain this to us so that we would understand the resurrection of Jesus is where God meets us to forgive our sins and to show us that he's with us. So cool. But you go, okay, imagery. Imagery is fine. That's a cute little metaphor. I like that. But so what? Right? Like, what does that, what does that mean? It's poetic. It's artistic. Fine. What does it mean? Here's what it means. There are days, I don't know if this happens to you, it happens to me. There are days when I wake up and my sin and my shame are so heavy. It's like you put something physically on my chest. And I start to think, I start to replay things in my mind and I start to think, why, why did you say that? idiot. How could you do that? I start to think things like, why am I even still alive? What do I do with that? What do I do with that kind of shame? What am I supposed to do with that kind of darkness and sin. I, I can only put on a smile and pretend and fake it for so long. I can only pull myself up from my, my bootstraps and go, okay, here we go. I can only do that so long. God goes, you need mercy. You need peace. You need forgiveness. You need hope. He goes, look inside the tomb. Look inside the empty tomb. Look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Meet me there. Meet me at the resurrection of Jesus, and I'll take your sin, and I'll take your shame, and I'll give you mercy. So for me, I, I run to the resurrection of Jesus. I don't know. Maybe for you, maybe you have a better something. Maybe you have a better method, something that you do with your sin and your shame. And when that darkness is on you, maybe you've got something else. For me, this is all I've got. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything for me. The Apostle Paul writes to the church, to the church in uh, Corinth, and he says to him, guys, if the resurrection didn't happen, if the resurrection isn't real, we're all screwed. That's Brad's translation. He doesn't quite say that, but it's something like that. He's like, if there's no resurrection, 
There's no new mercy seat. If there's no mercy seat, there's no forgiveness. And what you're left with is just standing there holding your sin and your shame. For me, that's too heavy. I, I can't bear that burden. So again, I, I run to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Sometimes every single day. I wonder for you, when you're feeling shame, heaviness, darkness, what do you do? Where do you go? Come back to that. Well, let's, let's go to the story. Remember the scene. Mary is crying. She's outside the tomb, but she kind of peeks in, and she sees these two angels. They're going to have a conversation. They ask her, woman, why are you crying? Her response is, they've taken my Lord away. They've taken my Lord away. I don't know where they have put him. And at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. Why doesn't she recognize her friend? Why doesn't she know that it's Jesus? I'm not sure. I don't know if her eyes are so filled with tears that she can't see clearly. I'm not sure if it's just, it's still early in the morning. It could be dark and she can't see. Maybe it's just out of context. This guy died. She's not expecting him to be there. I'm not sure why, but she doesn't recognize him. Jesus asks her, woman, why are you crying? Then he says this, who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him so I can go and get him. Here's what's so fascinating to me. I think this is so you and me right here. I think we are exactly like Mary. She's at the tomb crying. She has this traffic jam of emotions happening, right? There's sadness because her friend died. There's confusion. There's fear. The Bible says all the disciples are thinking, oh, we're next. Like, we're going to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. They're going to come and get us. There's sin. There's shame. I mean, the thing about Mary is Mary has a past. Mary walks around every single day with the weight of sin and shame and the things that she's done until she meets a guy named Jesus. And Jesus says, Mary, you don't have to live like that. Give me that sin. Give me that shame. Let me take it. And she thought that was the answer, but now he's dead. And so she's feeling all of these things. She's at the tomb and the gardener, who's actually Jesus, but she thinks he's the gardener. He asks her what's wrong. And all she can say is, I can't find his body. Tell me where his body is. I need his body back. I mean, really, is that what's wrong? She just wants the body? No, of course not. It's so much more than that, right? It's all the sin and the shame and the sadness and the confusion and the darkness. And it's all going on at the same time. And she doesn't know what to say. Here's what I think happens. And I think this will resonate with you. I think this happens to us all the time. When sin and shame and darkness are overpowering us, we will settle for anything that we think will give us hope. When shame has become too much, when the burden of sin is really heavy, we will settle for anything that will give us hope. In darkness, we will look for anything that we think will bring Light And so Mary, her friend, is dead. And she looks at the tomb and the body is gone. She goes, please, please just give me back his body. If I could just have his body, everything will be okay. Everything will be right. Just, just give me the body, please. Do you hear how ridiculous that sounds? 
as if having Jesus' dead body would fix anything. It won't. He's still dead. Nothing changes. And yet, because of all that she's feeling, she's looking for any sense of hope. She's like, just please give me the body. She believes it will give her mercy and joy and some sense of peace back. Jesus asks her that question, who is it you're looking for? And her answer is, just give me a body. What's he asking? He's going, what will make things better, right? Mary, what will help you stop crying? A dead body, really? You think that's gonna fix it? I mean, do you hear how silly that sounds? Yet if you just pick up the story and bring it forward 2,000 years, and you and I walk into that story, when you're sad, when you're overwhelmed by darkness, don't you go looking for hope? Don't you look... Go looking for any little sliver, just the tiny, tiniest bit of hope. Where do you go? I mean, you think about just in the context of real life right now, walk into the story. In 2021, it has been such a difficult year. What are you holding on to for hope? Like, where, where do you go? Vaccine, right? Maybe a vaccine. If, if we would all just get vaccinated, would that give you hope? Another stimulus check? I mean, that's fun, right? We all kind of grumble like, oh, our great-grandkids are going to be paying for this, but we're out there like buying new cars and sofas and all kinds of stuff. That's fine. Is a vaccine or a stimulus check your hope? I'll tell you what's been my hope. Just honestly, normal. I want normal. Oh my goodness, just give me normal again. Right? I'm like you. There have been times in the past year the anxiety of this whole thing, this pandemic, the depression that it's brought on, it's real. There's days I've woken up and I'm like, nope, not doing it. I just want to go crawl in a hole somewhere. I mean, to Jesus' question, what are you looking for? Where do you go for hope? A new job maybe would fix everything. Healing in your marriage. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. Those are real things, but will that fix everything? If everyone's vaccinated and we all get another stimulus check, and we get back to normal, is that, is that going to fix everything? Is that going to take away the darkness? Does that take away the sin and the shame that I feel? I'm, I'm not sure it does. Honestly, I hope there's more than that. There better be more than that. I can't help but think how much we're like Mary, who would settle for a dead body because it might give her just a little bit of hope. And so the question for you, what do you settle for? Right now, what are you settling for? What are you going after? You think it will give you hope. What am I settling for? Jesus said to her, Mary, verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned toward him and she cried out, teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. So Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with this news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said all these things. Mary would have settled for a dead body, but Jesus is like, no, Mary, Mary, there's so much more. Please, there's life. There's hope. You don't have to walk around in darkness. You don't have to walk around carrying that sin and that shame. Mary, I'm alive. 
Don't settle for a dead body. Don't settle for a vaccine or a stimulus check or some substance or the perfect relationship. Please don't settle. Jesus goes, you need hope. Put your hope in me. I wonder, when you have buyer's remorse about life, the things that you've said, when you have shame about the things that you've done, when you wake up and you've got one of those days where it's like, I don't know if I can do it today. Where do you go for hope? I mean, our culture, there's a lot out there. There's a lot of choices. You can turn to a substance. You can turn to a relationship. You can work more hours at your job. You can try and do things to be a good person. But the end result of all of those is a dead body. It's, it's, it's like Mary thinking a corpse is going to fix everything. And Jesus is going, please, please don't settle The invitation of Easter is this. It's like bring all your sin, bring all of your shame, gather up all of your depression, all of your darkness, scoop it all up. God goes, bring it, all of it, and meet me at the resurrection of Jesus. And I want to take all of it, and I want to replace it with joy and peace and mercy. And I hear some of you. I hear you're skeptical, right? I get it. I'm I'm a skeptic. I, I totally get it. You're like, listen, I've tried the Jesus thing. Like, let's just wrap it up. I'm just here because this is what my family does on Easter, right? They told me we're going out to lunch, and then they stopped here. It's a mean trick, I know. And you're going like, I'm sorry. There's nothing you can do to convince me that Jesus rose from the dead. There's nothing that you could do to convince me that he wants good things for my life. Here's all I can do. Just listen to this for a minute. Mary says to the disciples, guys, I saw it. I saw the Lord with my own eyes. Here's all I can tell you. No sales pitch. I've seen God work in my life. I've seen God change me. I've seen God take my sin and my shame and my darkness. And trust me, there's a lot of it. I've seen him take those things and turn them into joy. Take my shame and turn it into peace. It doesn't mean that my life is perfect. There, I told you, there are days that I wake up and sit on the edge of my bed and go, I don't know if I'm doing it today because the darkness just feels like too much but I've seen God work and I've run to the resurrection of Jesus Christ and I've watched him change me and I've watched him soften my heart. I've watched him change people like me. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything for me. So some days I have to run to the resurrection time and again. I go to the mercy seat every hour some days. And when I remember that God sent his son to die for me, to call me by name. It's not just a historical fact that Jesus died on a cross and that there was an empty tomb. It's a real thing for you and for me. And when I remember that, the resurrection changes everything and gives me hope. My hope's not in a vaccine or a stimulus check or a substance or a relationship. It's in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the invitation is this right now. The invitation for you today is that Jesus can change everything in your life too.
So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna pray in just a minute. And if you're here today or you're watching online and you go, I've never experienced real hope. This crazy guy is talking about a mercy and a peace that I don't know anything about, but you want it. Here's the thing, it's really simple. Talk to God. While I'm praying, just quietly right there, talk to God. Say, God, change me. God, I'm sorry for the things that I've done. I've sinned. God, forgive me. God, give me new life. Give me a fresh start. For others of us, we've chosen to follow Jesus. We've put our trust and our hope in him before, but we've fallen back into some old ways. We've fallen back into some shame, some old patterns. This pandemic maybe has driven you far from Jesus. Okay. Today could be the day that you run back to the mercy seat. Today would be the day that you run to the resurrection of Jesus. No matter what you've done, no matter how messy your life is, God goes, it's okay, I can take it. Come back, let me change you. It can be a new day, pray with me. Jesus, thank you for dying for our sins. Father and our God, thank you that you brought Jesus back to life. God, help us to know that we don't have to live in sin, in shame, in darkness. God, right now there are people here on campus. There are people watching online. God, you know this. They're going, I, I, I don't know how to keep going. I can't keep doing this. I can't keep living like this. I need joy. I need peace. My sin is too much to carry. If that's you right now, talk to God. Ask him to change you. Please don't settle for anything else. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to give you new life. God, there's others of us. We've moved away from Jesus. We've slipped back into shame. God, help us. Help us to know that right now we can run to the resurrection of Jesus. We can run back to the mercy seat no matter what we've done. No matter how bad we've screwed this thing up, you're standing there with your arms open saying, come back. God, we don't want to settle anymore. We want the real thing. We want peace and joy. You're a great father. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you forgive us and change us and make us new. Thank you that the resurrection really does change everything, God. We pray these things through the powerful, holy, and resurrected name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.